For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found Modern Mammals, and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast, and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me, and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. Another episode of the podcast. That's right. This is Lead Singer Syndrome. I am your host, Shane Told. Just like every single week for 224 of them. That's right. This is episode 224. Ah, I can't believe it. 225. That's like a big number, right? That's like a special sounding number. 225 next week. Hmm. Could be good. Tune in, subscribe, all that stuff. Anyway, Thank you for being here. We got a great episode. If you thought that last week with Scott Stapp was good, or the week before with Jim Atkins of Jimmy Eat World was good, this is even better. Rao Reynolds of Enter Shikari, that's right, you asked for him for years now, and he finally obliged. Great dude, one of the best. What a talent, and what a new record from Enter Shikari. It just came out. About a month ago now, that's about how long since we recorded this podcast, like we recorded it right before release date. That thing is a banger. Oh my goodness. We talk all about that and more. So get ready, get excited because oh Lord, it's coming. Anyway, hey, thank you for being here once again. I hope you were doing well in whatever sort of quarantine-esque state you are in. Stuff's opening up. I'm a little nervous about it, but um, at least I was able to, you know, buy some petunias from Lowe's today. Uh, Black ones, too. Badass. Anyway, yeah. So things are starting to open up. I hope everyone's staying safe. I hope maybe a little bit of this is good, at least for the psyche. Um, But yeah, I hope we're all all still being safe and all that stuff. Um, I don't have much news at all. Really, just my petunias, I'm afraid. But uh, yeah, we're starting to get a little bit better weather up here in Canada. We're about to celebrate 
our very special long weekend. It's called May 2-4. Well, it's not called May 2-4. It's called Victoria Day, but it's May 2-4 weekend. And in Canada, for people that don't know, a 2-4 is what we call a case of beer, like 24 bottles or cans of beer. We call it a 2-4. Hey, I got a 2-4. Yeah. So the idea is on May 2-4, you drink a 2-4. So uh, I won't be doing that, but I will be uh, planting, once again, my petunias. Anyway, hey, I want to remind you, you can always get in touch with me. You can send me an email. My email address is leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com, and I read them all. I write back to most of them. Also, find me on social media and add me. Um, I don't usually go for the cheap social media plugs. I'm not a huge, I'm not a great follow on Instagram by any means. Like, I don't really post a lot. Even in times like this, I'm, I'm, I'm not that great. But if you want to follow me, I'm like so close to 40,000 followers. I'm at 30, I've been at 39.9 for like ever. So give me a follow. It's at Shane Told if you don't follow me already. And the show Instagram is at Lead Singer Syndrome. We're like doing good. We're above 10K on that. So that's a good feeling. You know, it, it's good to be, you know, a little bit legitimized with this whole thing. So that's really, really good. I want to remind you guys again, like I do every week, about the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. That is what keeps the lights on around here. That's a for real true statement. Without the All Access Club, shout out to all my members, this wouldn't be happening. This wouldn't be coming at you week after week for free. Those people, and maybe you, are really, really generous and donate $6 a month or more to this thing, as well as getting a whole bunch of perks. I'm not letting you down here. You're going to get your money's worth for sure. Be part of a great community of like-minded people and other fans of the show. More access to me and, of course, access to merchandise and all the other things that come with it. Not to mention a whole whack of bonus content as well. Check it out. The link is leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. That's it. Check it out. Well, I don't think I have too much else to tell you. Really, no. I really, really, that's just it. But hey, uh, thank you for tuning in. I hope you've been enjoying the last uh, few weeks of the podcast. I feel like it's been some of the best episodes to be honest so go back if you missed them check them out again you know work your way backwards see how far you can get maybe you can listen to all 224 i don't know i'm sure some people out there have i have i've listened to them all anyway i'm gonna get into it and my conversation with Rao reynolds of enter shikari I'm good. I'm so sorry about that. I, oh, no it problem. was in the um, in my calendar as a phone interview. So here was there was me sitting next to my phone <laughs> waiting, waiting for you to call. And, no, so you are in the we're, uh, we're in the age of Zoom now, man. This is uh, you know, yeah. This is the hot hot <laughs> shit, man. Um, I, I don't know. I, I uh, I'm going to give the people a little context. Today is uh, April fifteenth. Um, just because all this shit, you know, in the world is changing so rapidly. 
You know, um, I feel like people need the context when we speak. But um, how are you holding up, you know, just with everything going on in the world right now? I'm I'm okay. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, it's a very odd experience at the moment. I, I've been I live alone, just me and my cat. So oh, no. it's, my life has become very solitary. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I'm sort of used to that. You know, I, I do a lot of writing from home and producing and stuff. So I'm, I'm used to kind of being on my own for a few days. But this has been, you know, quite a few weeks now. Um, yeah, I've been able to see my girlfriend a bit. But like, yeah, other than that, it's been um, rather solitary. But, uh, but yeah, apart from that, you know, like, I'm, I'm fine. Like I have my health, my loved ones have their health. So that's you know, about all, all we can hope for at the moment, isn't it? How are you holding up? Yeah, that's some, I mean, that's some positivity. Uh, I'm surprised. This is a new row, man. You're very, you're a very positive guy these days. No, uh, I, I, <laughs> to be honest, man, I, I think I've done, I've been, I've been better, you know? Um, like I, I don't have the personality of, like staying, staying inside, you know, like you seem, yeah. and I know you, you know, I've known you for a long time, not overly well, but you know, we've toured together and stuff. I know you as kind of like you keep to yourself. You're sort of an introverted kind of guy, you know, like you sit in the dressing room, you've got your headphones on, you know, you're working on your, your music. That's not really me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, right. uh, that's not really me. So I think for, for my personality, like there's days when I'm like, I got to get the fuck out of here. And I, like I just get in the car and drive around for a bit, you know, stuff like that I have to do, which, you know, it's just weird. I, I never felt, I, I felt obviously like anxiety, you know, not, not in terms of like having to be hospitalized ever in my life, but I felt that, but I feel like for the first time in my life, maybe, maybe more than ever, which is a little bit scary because no one seems to be focused on that side of this thing, you know, which obviously is a huge component. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's going to be more. I mean, well, at the moment, it's hard to tell how many people are struggling because there's just, you know, all the focus is obviously on the virus and, yeah. and not not just in terms of like news and social media, but but also in in hospital admissions. You know, the, uh, people, right. the only people that are going to hospital is if you've had like a, an accident or, you know, perhaps you're in the middle of cancer treatment or if you've got the virus, that's literally it. So exactly. I think when when, you know, things are slightly more under control there's going to be a massive sort of backlog really of just like uh, think effects that we didn't perhaps uh perceive were, were happening at the time like i've got a friend who works in social care and works with like alcoholics and things and he and he was saying like the the stress that it's just putting on this the, the wider um sort of healthcare uh and you know the 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 problems that it's ex- exacerbating for people is like really really tough at the moment i know I, I mean what's your take on on the way it's being handled politically i mean i know you're such a politically charged person you're so outspoken um you know maybe now in your life in some ways more than ever than you've ever been what what do you feel how do you feel about that i mean the way that it's been handled obviously in england it would be your you know, probably what you're mostly focused on or you know the most about, but just kind of worldwide. Mm. Oh man, there's so much. Like, where do you start? Right, um, right. I think one good one good thing that's coming out of it is that people are being forced to trust experts again. Because there was this there was this sort of we had a few years, especially over here, and, and I assume it's being the same with, with you guys with Trump, whereas where there was this kind of anti-expert sentiment. So no, right. we don't trust science. We don't trust 
uh, reality effectively, but of course they don't say that. Um, and I think now, it, you know, even with Trump having to share the podium with um, uh, what's Doctor, I don't know, pronounce it yeah, Fauci, is it? The, I, I would yeah. say Fauci. I, I think that's how you say it. I've read it more than I've heard it. So, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I think j- just giving a podium to like to science and um, to, to experts in, in in medical fields is like important to introduce that to the wider public as as a uh, as a relevant way to deal with problems you know right. instead of this kind of this rhetoric of oh we, we don't need experts we can just do this on, on a whim we can we can wing it sort of thing it's um yeah it's very odd uh mindset that's been uh, uh pervading through society in the last few years but so it's nice to see that um i think obviously it's been it's really interesting because every country has acted quite differently and, and as you know yeah. uh put their lockdowns in place at different times and we're seeing the, the the curves and the data um be quite quite drastically different from country to country i mean it is interesting if you yeah. compare yeah like denmark for instance is, is just starting to reopen things now um and i think they opened nurseries last week it's going to be schools this week um and you know they've they've come out of it with very few deaths because they locked down so early um, whereas UK has, has pretty much been following and now exceeding Italy, which is the, the worst hit in Europe. Yes, um, because because we left it really quite late, and um, I think there's going to be a lot of questions uh, asked that when, when this is all over, and hopefully a, a lot learned. Um, right. and, and the same with the US. I think you know Trump was obviously very late in in actually acting. He, he was denying it was it was even a you know well he said it was a. a hoaxed me at first and then slowly started to backtrack no no well i'm I'm in canada so it's a little bit different you know here Um, oh yeah of course the classic thing of (laughs) that's like you calling french or something (laughs) no it would be like if you were maybe if you were scottish you know calling you english that would be it's we're 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 still kind of the same and especially where i live because i live literally right on the border like i can be in in detroit in eight minutes where i live so, right. So yeah. I'm, I mean, it's really does affect me what's going on um, in the States. But I feel like, you know, with Canada, we are a little bit more in control, but we also have, you know, only 10 percent of the people. So it's a little bit easier yeah. to kind of get, you know, to kind of figure things out. And we only have 10 provinces instead of 50 states to organize. So, I, I mean, they are the yes, the U.S. is in trouble. But man, like. It, it's a hard place to, to navigate anyway. I, I got to say that. Yeah. Much, and that's wow. But, um, you know, you talk about the experts and you talk about the facts, you know, which is something that in the last couple of years, people have seemed to want to ignore if it, you know, uh, works for their own political agenda or their own financial agenda in a lot of cases. And this really could relate back to climate change, which is something that you are, you know, such a proponent for. Um, so uh, well, uh, um, so well versed in, outspoken in. Do you think that with this whole coronavirus thing, when it's over, maybe people will say, "Hey, maybe we need to ask the experts about climate change now." Well, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like we're. There is now a, a good degree of social trust towards 
the experts in terms of virology and epidemiology right. with the coronavirus. But like, so why don't we have, why, why can't we find a similar trust for people who uh, are studying the climate um, and, and, you know, the, the history of our planet and the climate's, um, uh, I, well, hi, yeah, hi, history basically. Yeah. Um, and, and what we need to do and, and what we need to change. Um, I think that, you know, there's going to be hopefully so much that, that we learn from this. Um, and I, I think we, it, it, it will hopefully present us with a bigger sense of global unity because, you know, that's one thing that nature keeps reminding of us, really. Like nature ignores the, the boundaries of, of countries. It, it, it ignores nation states. You know, it does what it likes. Right. And it, it kind of forces us to think of the bigger picture and think of our species and think of the longevity. Um, and I mean, I, I guess a classic example, um, going back to the, the pandemic is like, we're, we're quite lucky with this, that it isn't say an avian flu that has a 60% death rate. Right. Cause that would be a, a civilization destroying event or like, you know, remarkably changing event. Um, so, so we have to treat this as a dress rehearsal, really, and learn all right. the lessons and prepare properly. And there's so much of it that, that, that then can be um, sort of revitalized um, and, and, and triggered in terms of climate change as well. There's, there's so much that where, where they can overlap and where we can um, progress, hopefully. Yeah. No, that's a very scary thought, man. And you're absolutely right. Um, about damn, like, yeah. Can you imagine if it was like death rate of, yeah, let's say 50, 60%. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What would happen? Which to is the, like a total, I mean, yeah, it's a total possibility. Like yeah. we, we, you know, obviously it's, it's kind of insensitive to call, to call us lucky for, for this coronavirus because it's, it's absolutely horrible and it's, and it's killing so many people. Um, but it could be so, so much worse. So, so we have to, yeah, treat it as a, as a wake up call really. Yeah. Damn, dude. Well, um, some good news. On Friday, your new record comes out. Nothing is true and everything yeah. is possible. Um, what a weird time to put out an album, right? I mean, <laughs> right. you guys can't promote it the same way you have ever before. You can't tour. Um, you're pretty much stuck inside with your cat uh, talking to people like me about the album. So, um, yeah, what's that been like? I mean, I assume it's probably been written for a while. You probably are at home already writing a new one. Um, but talk to me just about what it's like putting a record out right now. It's just must be so strange. It it really is. It's um, it's like psychologically, it's so interesting because like I'm obviously excited because you know this is this is my baby, as you know very well. Oh, you, yeah. put, you put everything into an album, and when you're elite, everyone's about to hear it, and you're so excited to see the reactions and everything. But then I sort of feel guilt because no one should be feeling excited about anything right now with right. everything going on. Uh, yeah. um, and so on top of that, I, I'm sort of, sort of trying to weigh those emotions again with just the general anxiety of everything. So it's a real sort of cocktail. <laughs> it's a, like a roller coaster at the moment. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm just trying to, trying to remain positive. And I, I think we made the right decision in not postponing it. I know a lot of, you know, artists and yeah. bands of postponed releases and things. But I think like, you know, for, for myself as a music fan, there are records that I'm looking forward to at the moment. And, and I would be uh, pretty gutted, really, just sure. pretty, pretty upset if they got moved back. You know, like art can be, um, it can be like a, 
something that keeps you sane, especially in times um, like we're in of great sort of distress. Totally, um, totally. And it's also like I feel a little bit selfish as an artist to do that. Like what? You want to delay the money, the, delay the record to maybe make more money or something later? You know what I mean? Like that, yeah. that's, that's obviously not why bands are doing it. I, I understand. But it can kind of come off like that. You know what I mean? If I've been waiting, like you, you don't put out records every like year and a half either. You know, um, you know, typically we're talking about a three year wait between a lot of your albums. Um, so, you know, your fans have been waiting and waiting and waiting for this thing. So mm. I, I feel like it's great that you're putting it out and I, I really applaud you for it. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it in some ways it, it does suck that we, that we are going to make like not that you make a great deal of money from record sales anymore anyway, but like it is going to impact us and the album certainly isn't going to have the reach that it would have. Um, And I, I, you know, I know that there's, there's bands that have have made the decision to postpone for financial reasons and sort of, you know, fair play to them. Um, But yeah, it's, uh, I I think I'm trying to sort of like uh, describe it as if it was like some, you know, grand conversation that, that we had, but it wasn't really like, it was like, basically we're really excited to put this music out and yeah, it's, it sucks a little that it's not going to have the reach. It's not going to get into as many people's hands as, as it would have if we were able to do the album release tour and all the promo and stuff, but you know, fuck it. Let's, it's, it's, we still want our music out there. And I think, you know, now is, is a, is a time where people need, you know, art forms more than ever. Totally. And I mean, there are still a lot of people sitting around their house looking for new music, right? I mean, it, if you think about yeah. it, it's been, since we've all pretty much been, at least where I live, it's been like a month now where we've kind of been on lockdown for the most part. And like, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm out there like searching for new music and I'm 39 years old and I still listen to like, you know, sick of it all every day. So, you know, um, it, it's, I think it can really actually maybe benefit you too in that a lot of people are out there being like huh maybe you know i wouldn't have time in my normal life but now i have a little extra time so i'll check out nothing is true yeah it's possible you know yeah i hope so yeah I th- i'm sure we'll we'll pick up some some new people um that way yeah hopefully. well it, you say this is your baby um and i read that you produced the record yourself yeah i mean you've always had a huge hand in it i know you know working with you know, other producers like David Costin and, you know, other guys kind of, but it was your chance to kind of take the wheel and, and really steer the ship this time. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess I just sort of felt like I'd, I'd learned enough and, you know, I was so grateful from the, the producers that I've, I've worked with, with yeah. Shikari and outside. Um, but I think that because this record was even before, I started writing, I sort of had a, a vision of, of what I wanted it to be. And it, it, and I wanted it to be our sort of most broad, we, we keep calling it, you know, our definitive record, which is a sort of, it's almost a cliche thing to say. Totally, but, but, um, uh, but, it, think, but you're not wrong though. Yeah. Well, I, I think for the first time we sort of, I forced myself to look back and sort of acknowledge the journey that we've made and try and like make an album that covered that ground yeah. Um, which is something we've never done. We, we always just sort of are quite relentlessly forward-facing and progressive and, and don't really stop to, to take count and, <laughs> of, of what we've done. So, yeah, it felt like a, a record that was going to have a lot of detail and it was have to, to cover a lot of ground. So therefore, I sort of uh, I thought it was the perfect time for me to yeah take take the reins. No, absolutely. You, you're the. I mean, any producer you work with, they haven't 
been with you guys the whole step of the way, right? So if you are, you know, trying to to make it the definitive album, you know, I think I read somewhere that you said this is the one you want your fans to say, hey, start with this album, right? This, listen to mm. this one and then go back, you know? Um, you know, Absolutely. don't start with the first one, start with the new one, you know? So, and I think you did a great job, by the way. It's an, it's an awesome record. So much going on here, so much to take in. You know, it's... Thank you. It's, it's interesting, though, because it is... Uh, it does have a lot of... Um, I don't know how to say this. The album wears a lot of hats, and there's a lot of journeys within the album, but there is a real cohesiveness as well. And I, I that is always the trickiest part, I think, when you're trying to do an album that has a, that, that says a lot and does a lot, but still have, you know, track 10 still feel like, you know, it can it's on the same album as track 2. How, how did you go about yeah. that approach? That's an interesting one. Yeah, um I think it was it wasn't really something that I was thinking too much about until the sort of later stages. So I like to treat, you know, each song whilst it's being created very much as its own entity um, and not really thinking about the bigger picture. And it's only sort of, you know, midway through the process, I I guess, that I'm starting to think about uh, instrumentation and maybe how things can blend together and what sort of, uh, you know, mo- it's motifs to use the classical term that, that would be right. brought back uh, right. at the end of the, the record and things like that, just to, to make it feel like one congruent journey. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not really something I, I consider until <laughs> usually it sort of feels like almost too late, but <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of sort of serendipity, I think, involved. Like things, yeah. I think as, as, as a team, we just like kind of, work well and we have a, a sort of instinctual vibe for these things and usually they, they kind of work out but, but saying that I, I'm very I'm very aware that we we are not like a, a sort of middle of the road easy to to get into band we, you know we know <laughs> that this isn't going to be an album for everyone because it's purely so eclectic and, and going all, all over the dragging you from one side to the other so yeah it's, um, yeah no, we understand that no totally well vocally you sound better than ever. Um, was there a different approach taken? I feel like when, you know, it's your job to be, hey, you're the producer, Rao, like, you know, this is on you. I mean, I don't want to say that vocals become secondary, but in some ways, it, maybe it's harder to focus on that side of it. But you absolutely sound amazing. Like, you sound as confident and as clear um, as you've ever sounded. Maybe I think the best. Thank you so much. I mean, yeah, it's, I think when you're, when I was producing, you, you are sort of juggling hats all the time. You're like, okay, now I'm in, I'm thinking about the bigger picture. I'm in producer mode. I'm thinking about the textures and everything else. And then you, yeah, you sort of have to get used to and get good at quickly sort of trying to reframe the song within your mind and go, okay, now I'm going to think about melody, yeah. purely the melody. Like so hard. Put all the instrumentation to the side. Yeah. yeah. It, it takes practice, um, for sure. But yeah, I, I, I learned so much about that process, even just making this record. But I, I think just also being able to, you know, if it's, if it's 2 a.m. and I've still got energy and I feel like now's a good time to do a vocal, I can just do it instead of like going... Oh guys, can you stop doing guitar a minute and, and and talking to the to whoever I'm co-producing with and, and trying to work out a, 
schedule it's like, it's like now i can be a bit more of a dictator <laughs> right <which is> lovely. <laughs> okay so that's a that's a good question <clears throat> something that's very interesting to me at least so when you say that you know 2 a.m you're recording vocals are you like at your home studio like pushing play on your own rig and recording like for this album uh, th- there is a, a lot of that yeah um and then other instances so we recorded you know bits of it at my house um i used a couple of studios in the uk uh, we did a bit in texas and a bit in prague as well so it's kind of all over the place um cool. but rory was often there engineering um okay. he, he, he was absolutely brilliant help he puts you know a lot of effort a lot of hours into this album and terms of programming and things as well so he was brilliant uh, and we also had dan weller working with us he, he's someone who's yeah. worked on almost yeah. every single album that, that we've done um so yeah it, it, it still had like a, a team um and it, and it felt uh I, you know i could i could pass things off i could delegate which was right. nice but um there were definitely moments yeah where i was just like in my house you know on a, on a normal night just by myself and just thought oh i'm gonna do this vocal <laughs> no that's that's cool yeah i forget who is that who is i talked to oh i remember who it was it was um chad from hundred when they started doing like you know like their band has changed so much from like they were a hardcore band and now they're like kind of a shoegazy like pop i, I don't know what you call it uh and right, yeah. he recorded all of his vocals like in a room by himself with the producer in the other room because he was so like self-conscious about his own voice. I thought that was so interesting. And, you know, um, I don't know. I, I don't know how I would yeah. be if I just recorded vocals on my own. Maybe it would be better because I'm not worried about other people in the control room. And like, I don't know how loud my voice is in there. Like, and I, you know, if, yeah. I really, if I'm really like off on one take, I don't want people to be like rolling their eyes at each other. You know, like there's that <laughs> yeah. kind of, feeling you're really under the microscope when you're recording vocals so i don't know it's it's i guess that approach could really work for some people yeah i think there's a there's a pressure with recording that they're obviously you know when you're playing live you're playing as a unit you're in your own worlds but you're also unified in in making the sound that you're making whereas obviously when you're in a a vocal booth recording something it's, it, like you say, it's yeah. all eyes on you. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you do have a sort of schedule and, you know, studios are expensive, people are going to be like, oh, come on, man, you need to get this tape. Like, so there's definitely, uh, the, the pressure is a, a lot higher. Um, so, so I, yeah, I can totally see the, 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 the frame of mind that, that would be beneficial from just like, yeah, just doing it quite quietly, you know, by yourself yeah. uh, in, in your house or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you have probably the most out there Shikari track ever on this record. Um, what is it called? Uh, Elegy for Extinction. That this track, right. kind of blew my mind. Like I just, you know, <laughs> I put I put on the record, and I'm like listening to it. And I'm like, this is really really great. And like, there comes a point in most albums where you know, you start to sort of start losing count of like what track you're on, you know, like you always yeah. know like, Oh, this is like the third song. But once you get to like tracks six or seven or eight, and especially you guys some, you guys have some like shorter songs in there. I just sort of like, was like, Oh, okay. Well, I guess my, my like iTunes or whatever, like shuffled to something else, <laughs> you know, like oh, this, <laughs> this is like, is this like some Star Wars um, soundtrack, like, <laughs> you know, song I haven't heard before? Because I, I for a second I was like, what is this? 
And then yeah, yeah. kind of, you know, now going back and listening to the record a couple of times all the way through, I, f- I get it, you know, I, but what an idea and what an arrangement. Um, walk me through how that it's, I mean, it's instrumental, how that came to be. Well, I've, I've, I've enjoyed writing classical music for as long as I can remember really, but it, it's usually just been like a, a sort of hobby, you know, just something for myself. So trumpet was the first instrument that I learned as a kid. And I've, I've always missed playing in school orchestras and things like that. And there's a wonderful sense of, you know, being something, a small part of something so grand. Right. It's similar to a band, but I guess even, even on a sort of grander scale. Um, And I wanted to write an orchestral piece basically. And and first of all, I didn't know what it was going to be for, but it was just more of a a, a test because I'd written for brass, I've written for strings within Shikari and elsewhere. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to, you know, take on the the full orchestra, so to speak. And, um, as I was writing, there was two pieces that I was writing, and, and this one, for some reason, it just it sounded like it still fit within Shikari's universe, and it sort of had the same, I don't know, sense of kind of urgency and harmony to it. Um, and so at that point, I was like, right, let's let's try and make this make the album. Right, um, right. I was very lucky, really, to, to have um, George Fenton involved, who, who kind of walked me through the, the pro- process of orchestrating, you know, because I wrote the piece and I was like, okay, now how do I actually make sure that each part is playable on each instrument and how do I notate it properly? Um, and, and yeah, G- George Fenton, who is an incredible composer, he, he, he's he's the, the BBC's flagship uh, nature documentary composer. Right, so, like he does Blue Planet and like Planet Earth and all yeah. that, right? Yeah, yeah. So How did you get I mean, hooked up with him? That's like wild. Yeah, um, I met him. At, I think it was our publisher that originally introduced us. But George actually came down to one of our shows in London because um, he was very, you know, even I. This, this guy is, you know, a sort of aging, very sort of traditionally British you know, gentlemen, <laughs> like, um, <laughs> yeah, right. but, but his, his mindset is so punk. Like he's so intrigued by new ideas and he's so passionate, um, and sort of progressive. And, um, I think he was just really drawn to what we were doing. And likewise, I was like, I can just even believe that this incredible composer was interested in what we were doing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, sort of talked about working on a, on a few projects that we still might do together but um then i was like well well, hold on i've got something you can help us out on (laughs) and took it from there really wow no that's that's like the coolest thing i mean if you look back to the myspace days you know take like pre take to the skies that's the kind of stuff like someone would tell you and you'd be like shut the fuck up like that's never gonna happen there's not gonna be a classical piece you know that i worked on with george fenton uh yeah (laughs) that's that i know i know i i love that stuff um I love this so much. Um, I want to talk about so much more, but I do want to talk about your video for the Dreamers Hotel. I absolutely loved it. Obviously, the album is, you know, the album has a lot of serious, deep rooted, you know, messages and the video does too. But at the same time, you're having so much fun. There's like a lot of comedy. Um, You're dancing your ass off. Take me through, take me through the video. If if people listening to this haven't, haven't um, watched it, they should hit pause and get on YouTube and watch it right now because it's it'll make you smile. Yeah, we wanted to just sort of 
try and create what I'm singing about in the chorus of that song. You know, right. so the Dreamers Hotel is supposed to be this place that's outside of the current feeling that we have in society. So I think, especially online, there's this real sense of bitterness and fury and agitation. And it's so hard to converse with people because everyone's so emotional, emotionally attached to their ideologies and so uncharitable when speaking to people. You know, we, we always sort of take what someone's saying in bad faith. And right. it, 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 the last few years, it just seems to be getting worse and worse. So the Dreamers Hotel is this place where we can check in uh, and like actually have patience and empathy and tolerance and, you know, you know all these sort of virtues that we, I think we all want to strive for. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we try to make this, this set into a, a kind of weird, um, not really based in physical reality, kind of a, a real sort of dream. Right. Um, like a vivid sort of thing. And um, yeah, had all these like crazy props and things and just wanted to do a performance. Yeah, like you say, that was high energy. That was, it was still us. It was, it was not afraid to have a, an element of uh, humor in it really, because yeah. I, I feel that's an important, you know, it, it, it says we're human <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was, it was really fun. And Polygon directed it. Who's, um, the director who did Stop the Clocks, our previous single as well. We, we worked so well together um, and were able to sort of, you know, bounce off each other and, and develop ideas. And yeah, I thought we'd, we'd um, hit him up again. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Awesome. Awesome. That's, that's great. Um, I read you guys were going to take this summer off from festivals, uh, which was the first time in your career you were going to do that. Well, that seems like it was a great idea. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. something worked out there. Uh, I read you were going to build some elaborate sets, and you know, kind of for the next step of of um, you know this album tour and stuff. Mm. What's in the works now? I guess there's so much uncertainty, but I I read that and I was really curious, kind of what that undertaking was because most bands, you know, they don't build their own sets for their their tours. You know, they they rent a, some production yeah. and they kind of just it is what it is. What was that all about? Because I was I read about it and I wasn't kind of wasn't sure. Well, I guess it's it's more the programming side, but because we don't think at all about how we're going to play songs live when we're creating them and recording, them, right? Which is kind of to our detriment because then a few months later, when we have to, you know, basically translate these songs to the live arena and work out how the hell we're going to do it, it's such an uphill <laughs> struggle. Um, so a lot of it was simply that, you know, work, work out who's playing what, what synths are going to be sequenced, what ones are going to be played on keyboards or what MIDI controllers we're going to use, all oh, this okay. kind of stuff. Okay. okay. Um, but then also the, the production. So, yeah, the, the lighting um, either. So our last two uh, arena tours in Europe have, have been um, quite, yeah, quite elaborate, quite a step up for us, really. And. We, we like to keep a hold of the creative element to the of the live show as well. So me and Rory do a lot of, well, yeah, the visuals um, and the lighting program programming and stuff like that because, we you know, we're really kind of attached to that side of it too. Um, and so, yeah, it's just basically the take, take the time off to do that. Um, and it, it was going to be the first summer where we, we're not playing any UK festivals right. um, of our whole career. Um, but now it doesn't look like any are even going to go ahead, possibly. So we're not going to feel like we're exclusively missing out too much anymore. Yeah. But yeah, it's absolutely gutting because this is my favorite part of 
of uh, music really going to festivals even as a punter and having them all cancel is um yeah it sucks it yeah it really really does suck um another interesting thing about shikari is you guys have had the same four members the entire time um you know i guess with silverstein we've only had six band members ever in our band but you know um you guys have a lot of different personalities like i feel like everyone mm. in your band i i know each one of you uh rob a little bit less because he wasn't on that tour that we did together but you guys all seem very different and i kind of wonder do you guys when you're not on tour or, or working writing whatever it is do you guys hang out a lot uh, well, obviously not at the moment, <laughs> but yeah, we, we do. Um, I mean, there, uh, well, perhaps not Rob has a wife and a dog, but the, but Rory and Chris both have kids now, two kids yeah. each. So like when they're off tour, they're very much become just, they, they transform into family men. Um, whereas I suppose I'm, I, I'm actually in London as well, whereas they're still uh, outside to the North. Um, so I don't, I don't see them as, as much, but um, they'll often come into, you know, a show or something. I'll see them at a, a gig. Um, but the thing is, we're, because we're kind of on tour all the time, really, or in the studio or, or just on a small break, there really doesn't, there doesn't go sort of two, three weeks of, of us not seeing each other. It just doesn't happen. I mean, this is the longest period I've ever gone of not seeing them in my, you know, in my adult life, really. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Well, I miss them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure they miss you too, Ralph. Um, but, but it is, you know, you guys started at such a young age. You know, the band, um, in some way, shape, or form, has been, you know, going on with the same people f- since you were like like little kids, and you've really grown up together. You know, and found mm. your different places. You know, and you talk about the journey with Chris and Rory, you know, and they're, they have families and, you know, you have yourself and your cat and that works for you and that works for them. Take me through that. Like when in, when in, in the touring, touring process or this band, did you guys kind of realize it was important for you all to do your own things, but still remain as a unit and still remain as close friends? I think to a certain extent, it has always been like that because strangely we all have separate friendship groups. Like, right. you know, our, our sort of main friendship groups from, from high school of all they've remained, which, you know, first of all, we're, we're lucky because a lot of people don't uh, continue their sort of friendship circles that, that they have from earlier life. Yeah. Um, but yes, we, we've always had that grounding outside of the band, which is kind of nice because, you know, there is always going to be a point where you, come off a long tour and you are sick of the sight of each other and you're, and you're ready to, you know, see your other friends. Um, but yeah, that's sort of always been the way. And it's always been music. That's been the, the thing that's brought us like together. Cause it, it was only, it was me and Chris went to the same secondary school and Rory and Rob went to the same secondary school. So I didn't know Rory that well until I was like 17 really. So it was kind of after school when we, <laughs> we started putting on shows and, and got into the band and stuff. But, um, but yeah, we, we've always had kind of lives, our, our own sort of worlds, I suppose, outside of the band as well, which is, I, I think it's quite good for the general sort of mental health of us all, I suppose. No, I do too. And I, and I ask you that question because I, I think it is important for, for bands to have some separation, you know? I mean, you spend mm-hmm. so much time with each other that I think it is important to, to be like, okay, like, I'll see you in a little while. We, uh, 
you know, we're going to have a little time out from, from this and then we'll be back on tour or we'll be back in the studio and we'll, we'll do it again. So, so that's yeah. great. Um, going back to some pandemic talk, uh, you know, obviously for the foreseeable future, we don't, we aren't able to play shows, really do anything. You have this new album out. Have you discussed or thought about what you are going to do now? I mean, in terms of, I mean, a lot of people are doing live streams, um, you know, various other external things. Maybe it's, maybe it's more music already. What, what are you going to do? Um, yeah, we're doing a lot of live streams, especially around the, the album release. Um, I'm, but, but, I mean, that is basically me and my acoustic. It's not much more than that. Um, yeah. It's, it's really is hard to look past, like the, the horizon at the moment is very, very close. Um, and I don't know what's past it. Um, so once, yeah, once the album comes out, um, I'm not really sure, to be honest. <laughs> like I, I, I suppose yeah. we'll be, you know, a lot of our time will be taken up with preparing for these shows um, in Europe in, in November. But, you know, there's still a possibility that we'll be in and out of lockdowns yeah. throughout winter as well. Um, so it, it really is just like so up in the air. Um, I, I'm just going to concentrate on, uh, I think, just other aspects to my life. Like I haven't sat down at my my studio desk since we finished the album in, in at the end of January. I, th- I think I'm sort of quite... I don't really have any, I'm quite hollow at the moment. I'm yeah, like, of you know, course. It's, it's it kind of bad. Long... Sorry, it's kind of bad timing, <laughs> right? You, you have, yeah. you, right? You've just, you've just exhausted all of your, you know, your, all of your all on this new record. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, this would have been a great, like maybe this time last year when I maybe needed some time to write. <laughs> but now, it's, yeah. now it's, yeah, feeling hollow. That's, that's kind of a good way to put it. Yeah, so I'll, I'll probably concentrate on other stuff. You know, m- maybe it'll—I'll uh, finally do my my own classical opus <laughs> or something. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Call, call up George and and see if uh, yeah if he wants to collaborate with you. Um, that's yeah. that's that's very cool. You know, one thing that you I heard you speak of quite a long time ago, but you know, it's kind of relevant now. You know, the lack of of VIPs and the lack of you know monetizing. Um, uh, that side of things, you know, now with, you know, shows and a lot of that income gone, I mean, is that something that you guys would think about doing? I mean, at least maybe not a VIP in the traditional sense, but something different outside the box, because obviously like the longer this goes, the scarier it is. Uh, I don't think your Mm. rent in London is cheap. Yeah. I mean that, yeah, that's an interesting one. When you, when you're, main income i.e. shows has been taken away it, it really is like the carpet being ripped from underneath your feet I, i'm not mm-hmm. really sure how we could sustain ourselves um obviously it's, it's good to have a release coming out we'll get some like revenue like at least from streaming and the the few people that still buy vinyls um yeah but uh, by the way if you want a vinyl it comes out on a friday the 17th there it um, is yeah. it's at probably when, when you when people hear this the record is out now so yes go uh, go stream yeah, yeah, the record go get the vinyl yes yeah um yeah i'm not sure um it's yeah i, I can't really say I, I, i've thought about it I, I i would probably rather hang up my boots i'd probably i'd rather <laughs> sort of quit quit and shikari before i'd be selling 
meet and greets or, or right. anything like that. Um, it would have to be, I'd have to find some musical project or, or, you know, something else or go and work in a supermarket. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It's, I, th- there's something that is just, just deeply irks me about simply charging for, for the pleasure of your presence. Right. I, that, that's just, it's, it's, it's very archaic. Um, and, and and way too Hollywood for for anything that should be deemed alternative. It's not an alternative way of thinking, is it? Rising your, your yourself up on a, on a podium and asking people to to pay to uh, simply um, shake your hand or whatever. Yeah. Or, not that there'll be any handshaking um, for for a while. <laughs> no, no, no. You're like not even getting a fist pump at this point, dude. It's uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah. You know, I mean, that talks. You know, that speaks to you your personality. I mean, you are in a lot of ways, sort of the anti-rock star. I mean, you, you're in a very, very massively popular band, uh, especially in the UK, but you are pretty reserved. You know, you don't have a lot of elaborate stage outfits or, you know, anything extraneous. You know, you, you, you can be outspoken, but, you know, you aren't really, I don't know, for, for a band so big in the UK, and you know how press-driven um, everything is there, you, mm. are, you are very different. Yeah, I, I I suppose it was for me growing up within like a hardcore punk scene. There there was none of that, you know. In effect, that whole scene, uh, at least when it when it started, its essence was to be anti glam, perhaps in the nineteen yeah. seventies. It was you know anti the mainstream, um, and and that that whole world of celebrity even though obviously punk became something that became celebritized um but yeah for me i guess that's just it's just sort of normality i suppose it, like you say it was within punk you, you can be outspoken and you can express yourself and, and everything else um but there's no sort of need to put on a performance all the time and it right. took me a long time to to figure that out. Really, I was constantly used to sort of pressure myself to try and you know fill the uh, quote front man shoes, and you know to always be like a a big personality, a big character, and and that as you've you know rightly said, that's that's not really who I am. So I found that very difficult you know, like to grapple with the fact that it's actually okay just to to be yourself. You don't have to be you know, vying for everyone's attention every second, <laughs> which came as a sort of good news when I finally realized that. No, no, totally. But I mean, in some ways you're a little bit mysterious too. Um, you know, like your fans, maybe they don't know you, uh, you know, in this day and age, as well as they might know the front men or women of the other bands that they support, you know? And it's, it's interesting because where we come from and you're, you're a little bit younger than me, but not much, you know, there was no, social media there was no following anybody like if you wanted to know anything about somebody in a band you read it in a magazine right or maybe there was a video or something like but it was so rare that you actually knew anything and now there's almost a pressure to have to be accessible you know to to like, I mean, there's people like, I don't post a lot on social media, but I know there's people that like, if they don't post for a while, someone will like mess, they'll start getting DMs being like, Hey, are you okay? Just, you haven't posted it on the internet in a while. 
And it's like, yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm just like going about my life, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's kind of a, a crazy thing, but you know, you are quite, you still do have this kind of mystery that it doesn't exist very much. That's interesting. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I'd like to think that, I suppose at least from the, from the spark, our last album onwards, yeah. like I learned so much around that time and i I like to think I'm, I'm much more sort of open now. I'm mm-hmm. willing to talk about anything, but yeah, at the same time, I, I'm not, uh, I don't seek attention. I, I get more than enough, you know, more than my <laughs> fair of attention from being in a band and being on a stage like that, that satisfies and satiates me. Um, yeah. So I suppose with the social media thing, it's just, I'm, I'm there if people want to uh, ask me a question or whatever, oh, okay. rather than that, Good not to know. sort of, uh, Good to Getting know. in someone's face. Yeah. yeah, no, no, that's good to know. I mean, do you think that comes with just age, um, you know, being more comfortable in your own skin? Because I personally, I feel a lot more comfortable now at age 39 than I did, you know, at 29, and especially at, let's mm. say, let's say 19, uh, you know, just if we're going in decade inter- increments, you know, um, is that part of it, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a long process of learning that at the end of the day, really not a lot matters. And all those, you know, anxieties and, and, and worries and all the trepidation you feel about needing to be something or needing, needing to act some way or needing, you know, whatever social validation it is that you're looking for, none of that really matters. And it's a very slow process to realise that. And I, I can't say that I still realise that in its totality, but I, I've certainly got better uh, at kind of just letting go of things and just, you know, being more sort of at ease with, with myself and who I am and, and yeah, everything in, in that I kind of experience, I suppose. So you put out your second book, was it last year? Dear Future Historians, uh, was that last year? The year before? Yes. Um, you know, Something like that. <laughs> that, that's a very cool thing to do as well. And that definitely is the is totally the anti what I just said about you being mysterious because you're really putting yourself out there, you know, when you're talking about explaining songs and stuff like that. Was that difficult to do? I, I can't imagine, you know, obviously with some songs it's easier, I guess. There's kind of more to talk about. Mm-hmm. But when you're trying to dive deep into certain songs that have less there or it's a simpler idea, it, it must have been very difficult to put some things into words yeah that there's quite i don't know there's maybe like sort of like five percent of the songs that i didn't like write essays for i didn't do any sort of accompanying explanation because it's either so obvious right from the lyrics or they, they it just doesn't require any unpacking um <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, I think for me for me it was a a really arduous process because a lot of the earlier material i pretty much forgotten what I was going on about, what I was singing about, you know, like the, the experiences that influenced those songs I'd forgotten about. So, so the, there was a lot of sort of detective work almost and, and you know, yeah. raking through the, the files in my, in my memory and trying to work out uh, things. And luckily the guys, the rest of the guys have actually a much better memory than I do. So it was, <laughs> it was helpful to be able to sort of, bounced off of each other and remember um, things but it was yeah it was a wonderful experience because as, as I said at the um, 
like near the, the start of the interview, like uh, we never really sort of stood still and took stock of, of where we come from. So it was nice to be able to sort of dive into the history and relive a few things and, and um, you'd be able to offer the, the insights. No, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because you said before when we were talking about the new record, you know, that you went back and you, you know, you kind of dissected some of the old stuff, you know, in to, to try to kind of make the definitive Enter Shikari record. Was part of going back when you were working on the book, going back and, and you know, reading the old lyrics and trying to remember kind of what, you know, you were you were going on about, as you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, it was looking at demos. It was trying to find old lyric sheets. Yeah. Um, I even went back to my uh, parents' house, and they have they still have hard drives from the very first computer we we had as you know the family computer. Oh, cool. Um, and and so I was just like looking through files there and and stuff. So it was yeah, it was a, it was a really sort of fun experience. Um, and it was something now we'll hopefully do from this point onwards you know in, in terms of bringing out a sort of accompanying literature that that for those people that want to know every detail it, it's there it, it's it's available and uh, you know i understand that it's not never going to be a massive percentage of people but for those that yeah do like to know everything about the song and, and its beginnings um uh, it's it's quite fun to be, to be able to uh to yeah, present that yeah i mean for a band like you guys that have always pushed forward you know, like you said, you know, you've kind of most of the albums, they're pretty far in the rearview mirror and you're not really going back to reflecting on them. It's kind of like, what's next? What's next? What's next? You've developed a real legacy now, you know, with with six albums under your belt and a fan base that's as rabid as anyone in the world. You know, is it time to sort of say, hey, it's OK to kind of do, you know, anniversary tours, playing albums in full, do like doing, you know, celebrating that the fact that we've made it this far, the four of us, is that something that you're going to maybe a little bit be a little more open to now um, going forward? Yeah, well, we, we did a, um, we did, we've done a few things like that, but yeah. it, it is always a bit of a, a bit of a wrestle to get us to do that because we're always so excited about whatever's coming next. Yeah. It, we have to be sort of dragged that way by our fan base. Um, <laughs> so we had our, our 10 year anniversary of, of the first album a few years back. Yes. And um, we ended up doing like a few shows. I, I, I can't remember. I think it was just in Europe. I can't remember whether we did a, Oh no, I think we did a short tour uh, of North America as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's usually something that, that we really do have to be sort of, dragged by the ear or in a headlock or something. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I just wonder, cause I know, I mean, I know you guys have done that stuff, but I, I feel like it was like, yeah, kicking and screaming a little bit. And, uh, mm. I, I don't know. I, I think, I mean, when you did that, that tour, for example, did you enjoy it? Um, do, do was it, was it fun or, or are you just like, let me just get back in my studio chair? Um, no, it was actually really enjoyable. I, it was kind of surprising. Yeah. I mean, there's songs that we've played, you know, for instance, like Sorry Not Winner and Mothership are two songs that we've pretty much played every set ever. Um, so those songs, I am, you know, I have to admit, I'm pretty emotionally detached from at this point. Right. They just sort of happen. And, you know, like anything, if you've, if you've been 
repeating one exercise or one job for a certain amount of year, years, you'll do it without thinking. It, it will just be, you'll be on autopilot and that yeah. kind of happens. Yeah, it does. But for the rest of the tracks on the, the album, oh, it, was, it was incredible because, you know, th- there were actually two tracks that we'd never played live. So it was, it, it, there was a similar excitement to playing completely new stuff because um, the stuff was either new or it just hadn't been played for so long that it, that it still felt fresh. And, and we always try and like, add remixes and like mashups and, and make them sort of drag the songs into the, the 21st century. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, it's, uh, that's awesome. Well, I uh, don't want to take up too much more of your time. I, I highly doubt you have a lot going on, uh, for the rest of the evening, but I could be wrong. <laughs> what are your plans? Um, what are you going to do when you get off the phone with me? <laughs> I am going to make some dinner. There you go. All, I think. Yeah. I'm going to have a, I made a banana curry last night, oh. which I'd never heard of, but like me one neither. of my mates gave me a recipe and um, it was really good, really, really tasty. Um, so yeah, I'm going to have the leftovers of that and uh, I'm going to sit down and uh, I'm editing a uh, live sort of uh, acoustic thing that I did um, this morning. Okay, so, um, cool. Yeah. Cool. Work, work, work. <laughs> yeah, hey, never never stops. Well, maybe your third book can be uh, a cookbook. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not very good, um, so it might take a, a <laughs> few years of learning before I can try and in the kitchen, be, be the con man. In the <laughs> kitchen with Raoul, forward by Gordon yeah. Ramsay. I, I like this. <laughs> I like this idea, man. Well, I'm going to leave the people with a tune. Thank you so much for your time. Did I miss anything? Anything else to, to plug before I let you go? Uh, no, I mean, yeah, it's just all, all eyes focus on the album at the moment. So, all right. Yes, um, yeah, yes no, it is. Lovely it to is speak to you. You too, man. Great catching up. And yes, everyone, the album is out now. Go listen to it. I'm going to play, I'm going to go with the Dreamers Hotel. It's a, it's a great track, a great video. I want to remind people to check out the video. And then I'm going to leave them at the very end with the, the Elegy for Extinction uh, that, oh, that, yeah. that is going to be the great, the fade out, the fade out <laughs> music. So Ralph, thank you so much for your time, man. Uh, all the best. And hopefully we see each other on, on the road real soon. Yeah, absolutely. Big up. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Take man. care. Take care, man. See ya. Cheers, mate. So there it is with Mr. Rao Reynolds himself. One of the best. I'm telling you one of the best. And I would do a lot of things to tour with Anna Shikari again. They are not only some of the best people, so much fun. Shout out to Chris too, man. Me, me and Chris Batten back in the day, we had some good nights. I love those guys and hopefully we can get on the road together when this is all just, you know, over and no one remembers this time and everyone goes, what do you mean, Corona? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that was like a weird thing. It's fine. We've, we've all forgotten about that. That's my hope. That's my hope. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I do know that one day live music will occur again. Enter Shikari. They will be there. Go see them live and make sure you check out their fantastic new record. As promised, I'm going to leave you with a couple tunes. A couple great tunes. Here is The Dreamer's Hotel, followed by Elegy for Extinction from Enter Shikari. Peace and love. Stay safe. And we'll see you next week.
Kirby. Curtis, see this guy. 